the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Lifeline, the time 505 on this January 27th, if you will, 2020. I'm almost sure that is the right date. Kind of befuddled, if you know what I mean, just a little bit, but not a whole lot, but just a little bit. Thinking about Psalms 90 as the buzz has been going around for a little while now. There may be a number of you out there listening who do not have any idea uh, what the last 24 hours uh, meant or has entailed relative to one of the largest icons in sports history uh, in a contemporary way uh, has occurred. And of course, I'm talking about one Kobe Bryant and the tragedy that occurred yesterday morning for him and his daughter, his 13-year-old daughter. A very, very sad set of events uh, that they are still trying to put together in terms of what really went down. But what I'm reminded of is Psalm 90, verses 1 through 12. And I want to read that for you because most of you are people of God. You are believers. And I want you to just meditate on what it says. And we're going to use it kind of as a springboard into our reflection upon what we uh, ought to be able to derive from such... um, a massive figure who played a significant role in a number of people's people's lives, maybe not yours or mine, but somebody's. And they became so renowned that the world knows them. This would have been the case, I'm sure, for many of you around. Uh, if you were a baby boomer and, and younger, as we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, when he died, this would have been the case. Maybe now about 10 years ago, a little bit less, when Michael Jackson died. This would have been the case for you when Prince died. This would have been the case for you when any one of these kind of larger-than-life individuals that have made an impact on your life, B.C. or A.D., before Christ or uh, Anno Domino, uh, after you came to know Christ and that individual still somehow Uh, was given the privilege by God, the platform, as many people are, to be a significant uh, representative of the Imago Dei in a particular category of life, an art area or science area. That is to say, our world is filled with the art and science of life, and some of us yield more towards the science side. 
And so when Bill Gates goes and will, when Bar- Warren Buffett goes and uh, and others of that scientific ilk that 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 were used to change the world on so many levels technologically. And then people on the art side, people who uh, played a role, if you will, in one of the central preoccupant uh, uh, pastimes for us as human beings. And that's sports. When they pass away. Uh, the world for a moment stops, as it did yesterday for many. Obviously, for those of us who are faithful in our worship of God, we were not meandering about in the um, the world of sports. We weren't watching basketball games and we weren't sitting around listening to football dialogue with regards to the um, to the uh, Super Bowl, which will be coming up uh, this week. We weren't doing that. We were uh, doing what the Bible says. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Many of us were making our way to Zion representatively uh, to hear the word of the Lord and to to uh, to inquire at his law, to understand the finished work of Christ and to submit to the law of the spirit of life and to worship the true and the living God by whom we have our being. He is our God. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so many of us heard about it, at least I did, while holding a post-worship new members class. On my way to new members class, one of my deacons said, I think I just heard that Kobe Bryant just died. And I'm walking to the class to teach it, and and I really couldn't embrace it. What uh, my deacon has said, I really couldn't really take it in. It didn't it. You know, when you hear those kinds of things, you you go, well, we better wait for the facts. We better wait until we can know everything that's going down. So fortunately, because I had to deal with a, a, a group of men and women who are preparing for membership at Grace. I didn't for one moment think about Kobe Bryant while uh, working with them through the class from about one thirty to about three o'clock. Didn't for one moment think about Kobe. Got home and cut the uh, television on and immediately was bombarded, inundated with all the information surrounding him. And then it hit me like it did a lot of people. Uh, Tragedy strikes. Even the wealthy, even the rich, even the prominent. Tragedy strikes even those who seem to be Larger than life. Tragedy strikes. Now, see, it would have been one thing if it had been that Kobe had gotten sick with a particular or peculiar disease or some kind of cancer that we know is fast working and can take you out in a few months. Or if he had struggled with it for a number of months or even years, as some uh, some human beings of uh, renown have uh, have experienced with that kind of slow uh, dissipation of life and then ultimately an expiration of their life. We can be all prepared for that. And, and once it happens, Aretha Franklin was that way. If you guys recall, Aretha Franklin was one that when we uh, heard that she had passed, it was a, it was a difficult day. And I, I would, I would, uh, I would venture to say she was as impactful and more so in a certain aspect of the art world music as Kobe was in the art world of basketball. And uh, and so, you know, you heard a lot of news about her and we could go on with a lot of different people. But I want to read a portion of scripture before we take a break and we'll come back. And I'll, obviously, I'm going to ask some salient questions around what are the theological virtues we can take away from a situation like that, which tragically occurred for 
uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Psalm 90 verses 1 through 12 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had made or formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And you turn man to destruction. And you say unto him, return, you children of men, return. That's a theological framework for the condition of the whole human race. God has turned us to destruction because of our original sin and our innate sin. And and the message from God to us is return. For a thousand years in your sight is but as yesterday when it is past and as a watch in the night. For God, time is fleeting because he lives outside of it in the context of eternity. So it's relative. He says, you carried them away, that is mankind, as with a flood. They are as sleep in the morning. They are like grass which grows up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. And in the evening it's cut down and withers. That is so true of our lives, isn't it? So true of how the brevity of life takes us and we find ourselves going through the stages of life, youth and then adulthood and and then, you know, ignorance and then trials and difficulties and then hopefully maturity and then a life of stability and fruitfulness and productivity before we pass on. For we are consumed by your anger and by your wrath are we troubled. That's a biblical worldview of humanity. You have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins, in the light of your countenance. For all our days are passed away in your wrath. We spend our years as a tale told. That'll be the case for Kobe, as it was for so many others, a tale told in the largest spectrum of human existence. The days of our years are three score and ten, and... If by reason of strength they be fourscore, that is 80 years old, yet is their strength, labor, and watch this, sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? Even according to your fear, so is your wrath. Therefore, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, I'm frequently found quoting these verses when I am heading a funeral service or a memorial service uh, and taking the family into the auditorium or the sanctuary or wherever we are holding the service, reminding all of us that if you get a chance to live out 60 or 70 or 80 years, it's only by the mercy of God. And to remind us that our lives are going to always be filled with sorrow and pain and trouble and difficulty. Because we are, as human beings, under the wrath of God. Our world is in trouble. But what Moses said is, when a day like this occurs, where a young man was cut down in the prime of his life, only being half of 80, 41, we sure enough ought to be asking the question, Lord, teach us how to number our days so that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. Number your days, apply your heart to wisdom. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline, one 367 one We can talk about Kobe. We can talk about a number of things.
if it's if it's worthy of talking about entering into the ether to the ears of our listening audience, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine is uh, the phone number to reach me. I'll give you just a, a tidbit about what happened, not a whole lot. And then I'm going to share with you a perspective, a a, a kind of query of my own with regards to Kobe that um, I sought to satisfy. I really did want to know where his eternal perspective was. I wanted to know whether or not he numbered his days and whether or not he applied his heart to wisdom. Because as we all know, you're not given to live out all your days. I just buried a young man out of the sadness of my heart. It was almost half Kobe's age. So we could go anytime, number our days, apply our hearts to wisdom. Uh, so we can know whether or not should our time come, do we know where we're going? You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Again, three lines open, one 367 one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. We can talk about it and other very important matters that pertain to life and godliness and our pre- preparation, if you will, for glory. Jesse Gistin in the house, which you're glad to be with you. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is five twenty-two. If you want to chime in, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. As I opened up the program, I did make mention of Mr. Kobe Bryant, who uh, who recently passed away with his daughter and seven others as well uh, in a uh, helicopter crash um, somewhere in Southern California. I guess fog had a lot to do with it. Um, uh, but, yeah, the demise took place and uh, the celebrated basketball star is no longer with us. And what's even uh, even more sad is he lost one of his four daughters, a 13 year old, of whom he was taking her to either a basketball game or practice along with her coach and another another daughter player, too. So that was really a sad Sad, uh, sad state of affairs, really, really sad. And and one of the the questions that uh, emerged for me, as I said before the break is, okay, these things occur. And every now and then they happen to a major public figure like Kobe. And it becomes a test for all of us to really weigh out and think through uh, what was that about? What was his life about in relationship to <clears throat> to you or to me? And, and maybe this is a very good question. As much as we may have derived from Kobe, uh, all of the joyful, <clears throat> excuse me, all of the joyful experiences of his basketball game from uh, 16, 17, 18 years old up to the present, even uh, to his last basketball game where he scored some 60 points. Did you ever one time out of all of the benefits you derive from him on an aesthetic level of enjoying the the art side of life called basketball, which is a pleasurable experience if you've ever seen the skill sets and and uh, and and and, and uh, uh, athletic ability of such a person like Kobe Bryant. But as a child of the living God in relationship to human beings, connected to this world, connected to men and women on a practical level, on so many social levels, we all intersect. As part of the people of God, did you ever pray 
for Kobe Bryant? Did you ever ask God to save your uh, your your icon, your 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 human icon, that that individual that you uh, you mimic, <clears throat> that you that you model, that you pursued, that you honored by buying his gear and his apparatuses, all of his uh, you know his um, paraphernalia. Uh, as sports fans do. A sports fan is a fanatic. That's what you do. But as a child of the living God, did you ever pray for the man? Did you ever pray that God might save him or may have saved him? Did you pray for him if he saved uh, to to live a life that would ultimately glorify God? Or did you do like so many of us do as consumer Christians, just simply enjoy the show, enjoy the circus, enjoy the entertainment, go and purchase our ticket, acquire a seat, and then just enjoy the inter- entertainment just as if we have nothing to re- contribute, nothing to collaborate with him or any of the others on. This is really a a probing question. I'd love to hear from you on it. one 888 How many of you were Kobe fans who prayed for Kobe or not? And if you did not, why not? How many of you were Kobe fans and knew Kobe's background and understood where he stood relative to faith and belief in Christ or or, or not? Because, you know, I've watched him enough to know that uh, if anything was there, uh, he, he kept it well under lid. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and, and that would be understandable to a certain extent the way the NBA works today. Um, but, 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 you know, my heart went out to, uh, to, to Kobe and his daughter and his family now in terms of whether they were uh, trapped by this temporary culture of death. Because the temporary culture of death in which you and I live tells us to get all we can in this world. It really does. It tells us that nothing matters but what we get out of this life. That's what it does. And it tells us to jump and don't worry about a safety net. It tells us to run and don't worry about pitfalls and and uh, potholes in the, in, the, in, in the road. This world tells you and I to, to, to just do it and don't worry about the consequences. You know that's true. You know that's true. And so, uh, for me, I began to pursue and look at least to try to find out if there was some kind of historiography on the brother with regards to his background, if there was any kind of uh, theological or biblical or gospel influence that would have uh, given rise to hope in my heart, given the nature of the accident. Uh, Because I, I bury people a lot. And uh, I'll share this with you. I'll take a break and then I'll take your phone calls. Two phone lines open. Two lines are open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. And I've said it before, and this is very important ethic. The way we die is important. How we die is important. And we can be flipping about it and use all of the, the, the cliches that Christians do. But I really want you to think about what I'm about to say, because this has more to do with God's side of your dying than your side of your dying. Now, your side matters. Jesus said, my time was not yet. People tried to kill him and kill him and kill him and take him out, but it would never happen because in God's sovereign providence, you can't go and tell it's time to go. That's God's side. But he said, your time is always at hand. He was letting the people that were uh, seeking his demise understand that they could die before he does. And that's true of you and I. 
as well, of you and me. And we could go right now, next hour, et cetera. Uh, as many people do, I've shared before, there's some 200 plus thousand people die every day. There were a bunch of people died yesterday with Kobe around the world of whom many of them were believers. And they were believers that were being persecuted for the gospel's sake. They were believers in other countries and under circumstances, duress and what have you. And there was a radical difference between their death and the depth of a person who, let's say, just did not know God. It doesn't matter how wealthy he would have been. Let's say, uh, let's say Kobe fit the the scenario of Lazarus and the rich man, and Kobe, on a human level, would have been considered who the rich man, fared sumptuously every day, had the wealth and prominence, had the stardom, had the uh, resources to do whatever he wanted to do. Apparently, the helicopter was his. And it could seat 12 people. That's a big helicopter. It was of the uh, around the tune of $13 million uh, to purchase. Well, Kobe had that money. That was that was nothing. Uh, and and that, that doesn't matter. That's not even a, a significant point to me. It just simply fits the analogy of the rich man who fared sumptuously every day. And then, boom, one day he dies. It just so happens that Lazarus also died. And the distinct difference between those two men is the way in which they died. One died in Christ and one died outside of Christ. We are absolutely sure that the world celebrated the rich man. Nobody celebrated Lazarus. We are sure of that. And that juxtaposition goes on every day in our world where people who are not known and therefore not celebrated die but whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life and who lived a life that pointed to and and exalted and glorified God. And according to Luke 16, the angels came and ushered with an entourage, poor, sick, beggar Lazarus into the presence of God with a celestial entrance of which Peter said in second Peter chapter one around verse 12, after saying, make your calling and your election. Sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail and you will have, uh, you will never fail nor be unbarren, be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge, experiential knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so shall an abundant entrance be open unto you into our father's kingdom. What a motivation for living for the glory of God. An abundant entrance into the kingdom of God that that paints a picture for you and I, you and me, that there is a entrance to be had or pursued or are endeavored, if you will, to enter into the uh, celestial city uh, whose eminence is not even to be compared with what's going on right now with all of the talking heads around our brother Kobe. You understand what I'm saying? God has a place prepared with jubilations and honors and 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 exaltations and elevations for his people who live for him that are inexpressible on the side of glory and he means for you and i to keep our eye on that because down here you are not guaranteed to be honored nicobe is being honored but my concern is did he know the lord is that a legitimate concern all right I'm going to take another break. I got two lines open, one 888 When we come back, we'll press into this conversation as I go to the phone lines a little bit deeper and ask, is it the believer's prerogative? Is it his wisdom? Is it his prudence 
that when God allows such a mega star personality like Kobe to die under such tragic and certain circumstances, is it prudent for us to query into, press into, ask the deep and profound question? Did that man have his eternity squared away before he left? Did he take care of business? It's a Monday edition of Lifeline. One line open, one 888 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And the time is 538 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. And I guess one of the questions before I go to the phone lines, because they're all filled up. Uh, one of the questions, and it's really a kind of a twofold question that I want to raise uh, to my audience right now, because I so desperately want us to not fail of the grace of God. I really do not. I, I hear the scriptures, the way they talk, and I hear the world, the way it talks, and I hear the church, the way it talks. And I watch the church the way we walk. And there is a major distinction between what God's word says about the vital, robust, fruitful, practical, God-centered, Christ-exalting, missional Christian and what I see in the world today. There's a major difference between the church in our generation, in our world here in America, the West, uh, and in Europe, uh, England, and many other places uh, in terms of what you might consider uh, a, a, a prosperous believer, if you will. A major difference between what we see at large, and I know that there are exceptions to this uh, observation. I know it, but it shouldn't be. Uh, there's a major difference between the first century church that understood that its very existence was for almost exclusively with the exception of, uh, as it were, uh, vocations and stations in life that God would appoint us to in order to resource the gospel. That the vast majority of the work that God has called the church to has nothing to do with the manner in which we are exhausting and wasting and pouring out and giving ourselves over to exasperating our time in in our present life, which makes the question that I'm raising you guys around, is it appropriate for us to ask, where is Kobe now? Is it appropriate for us to ask, is Kobe one who can, by his lifestyle, affirm to our heart and conscience that he knew God, that he knew Christ, that he was well with the Savior, that his life hallmarked that he was, watch this now, fixed on glory? It's a good question, isn't it? And here's the question that I'm going to raise to you. And then when you call, you may be compelled to want to answer it. What would your life look like? Actively and visibly and vocationally, if you were as financially well off and rich as Kobe and as young, what would your life look like? Professing believer, child of the living God, the one who, you know, tells people how much you love God. What would your life look like actively, visibly, vocationally if you had the hundreds of millions of dollars, endorsements, power, influence that Kobe Bryant has had and in your youth. would uh, What would be a fundamental expectation of Jesus Christ, your Lord and mine, to any church member given that opportunity of public platform? 
See, that's the way I want to frame it. So we can talk about this for the next hour. Let's let's work this through, because, see, really, this is why God allows you and I to exercise our senses around another human being like ourselves who live close enough to us to to help us assess how healthy or unhealthy we are in our biblical worldview of time and eternity, quite frankly, because I know within the framework of my listening audience, some of you were fanatics. For Kobe. Line one. Let's go to Castro Valley and talk with Craig on line one. Craig, are you there? Yes, sir. Yeah, what's your question or comment about our topic around Kobe today? Well, um, you had the first question you had was, have you ever prayed for him? Yeah. And no, I'd never prayed for Kobe until yesterday. And one of the reasons for that is I'm a Laker fan. I ain't particularly a Kobe fan. Uh-huh. Been a Laker fan for a long time, but you know, he he was one of the best players, so I rooted for him. I got his jersey. Right. But um one of the things that um I didn't like about Kobe is when he was, you know, 17 or 18, whenever he got drafted, he moved out here with his mom and dad and bought a big old mansion, and then when he got married, he made I I I'm assuming, I don't know if this is absolutely true, but I know his parents moved back to Philadelphia. Uh-huh. And that just kind of like, you got a big old mansion. How are you going to make your mama, how are you going to kick your mom and daddy out? Whatever that. So, and then, you know, when the whole Shaq and Kobe beef thing, you know, I was, I was disappointed with Kobe because I felt like he forced Shaq away and they could have just kept it rolling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, see, you had another question. Now, you're saying if I had the money like Kobe did when I was 17, is that, what would the expectations look like? Is that the question? Do I get it right? I'm going to rephrase it so my other listeners won't have to be fudging like you're doing. What would okay. your life look like actively, visibly, and vocationally if you were as financially well off as Kobe and as young, given the fact that you are a believer, given the fact that you know what you know? What would your life look like as a believer? Would it look like Kobe's? Would it? Would you? Would your life reflect the same kind of values, resources, emphasis, projects, investments as Kobe's was? Given that you are a professing believer, now you know we got some questions to go with Kobe. But in terms of you as a believer, see, because we can put our feet in his shoes and raise that question, can't we? Yes. Okay. Uh- well, if I was a believer at 17 and got drafted, then no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look anything like Kobe's because I never heard him once speak of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes the athletes, when they win, they say, I want to thank the Lord. I never heard him ever say anything like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the giving, I'm sure he, he, he uh, supported charities, but, you know, I would have, expectations for me, I would have been, you know, more involved in giving for the needs of the church and helping out where people need it because you financially blessed. So I, I would be a giver in that sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. I will say this then, on that. Huh? One more. Oh, I'll let you go. And then one more thing I, before I get off. Go ahead on. Go ahead on. Say it. Okay. So um, yesterday when I heard the news, you know, we're cleaning up. And then um, I, I went on social media and posted something. And I was, basically saying that I hope Kobe heard the gospel and believed the gospel because, you know, he was taken so quick. Right. And then all the backlash I got from people on, uh, you know, social media hating on me because, you know, I'm, they're like, why are you hating on Kobe? I'm like, I'm just saying I wish, I'm hoping that he did. 
I don't know for sure. Nobody knows for sure, but but it was you know like I guess it's kind of like First uh, Corinthians one twenty three. You know, the, um, the word is folly. So people just you know when they hear the gospel and they don't believe it, they think it's ridiculous and it's a bunch of nonsense. Well, often with with uh, or they're well, offended by it. Well, yeah. Well, often when it comes to one of our idols. And Kobe was an idol. That's the term is used icon. When people start, you know, uh, idolizing an individual and they die, it doesn't matter who they are. And anyone raises a question. Does anybody know where that brother went? Does anybody know whether he made it to glory? Does anybody know whether he perished under the wrath of God? You'll notice those questions never get asked in the media, never get asked by Stephen A., never get asked by all of the major commentators who all I know frequent church a little bit here or there. And one of the reasons I'm raising this up and I'm going to let you go after this is because in a Christian context, in a Christian format like ours, there ought to not even be the slightest hesitation of asking whether or not that man's eternal soul, eternal welfare was established. And certainly, if all you said, Craig, was, I hope someone preached the gospel to him and that he was able to make himself right with God before that plane crashed, is an absolute act of compassion. Totally. But what happens is when people have to talk about eternal verities, they have no handles. And so they become insecure emotionally and psychologically. And and in social media, they're just going to attack you because you should simply assume that because Kobe was the kind of person he was with the money that he had and the people he influenced and all the folks he blessed. You should just assume he's in heaven and don't even talk about whether he's in hell or not. Believers don't have that luxury. Thanks for the call. I got to take a break. When I come back, I'll deal with Kevin, Kelvin Nelson and Kiana on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Listen, you don't have the luxury of just saying, you know what? I'm not going to even raise the question. I'm not going to even bring it to the floor to not do that. Child of God means you have taken your light and put it under a bushel. You have completely hidden any uh, uh, evangelical gospel, redemptive, soul-honoring purpose for which you exist. To not even consider the the conversation around whether or not the man was fortunate enough to bow the knee to Jesus Christ before he left. And once the church is capitulating to being silent about people dying... Once the church is willing to be capitulate and, and silent about people dying and where they go and what eternity they spend in, you're not ready to be an evangelist. You're not ready to share the gospel. You're not ready to be the salt and the light. As Paul put it, we are a savor of death unto death and a savor of life unto life. People who are not prepared to talk about eternity, we smell like death. People who are prepared to talk about eternity love the fact that somebody opened the door and had the real conversation about the elephant that's in the room of humanity. And that is, did he perish under the wrath of God or did he find his way into glory through the person and work of Jesus Christ? That is the question that makes Christianity relevant. Once Christianity is not dealing with death. In eternity, Christianity has been completely divested of any relevance and significance whatsoever. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. Let me see here. Let's go to the phone lines and go to line number four and talk with Kiana. I'm sorry. Don't go to four. Go to two. Kelvin is first. Kelvin in Belmont. Line number two. Kelvin, are you there? 
man? I'm great, man. What's your observation about our conversation? Well, I, I think that just what you're talking about, we have become such consumers of things that we don't really look at our job anymore. Um, it's okay to go to a basketball game. It's okay to go to the movies. Yep. Uh, but our job as Christians is supposed to spread the gospel to shine in a dark place yep. and ask questions that sometimes make people uncomfortable. But I would rather make someone uncomfortable and watch them go to heaven or at least tell me, get out my face, than to not want to ask them anything about Jesus or their soul salvation. And as Christians, we've just become so lackadaisical when it comes to hell. Yep. Hell is a yep. real place. Yep. Yep. And, and we act like, oh, it's just like going to a barbecue. No. Nope. nope. You are the barbecue. And we've just become old dangerous people going to hell. And it was funny when you said, how many people prayed for them right. before? Right. That, that to me, I'm like, oh, Wow, that's that's really thought provoking because we can say we oh I love them right I love it's like well, were you praying for them right right see and I'm in full com- I'm in full comportment with what you're saying Kelvin I am not one who does not enjoy uh, the amenities of life both on the art side of life and the science I, I, I talk about the importance of balance I talk about the Imago Day expressing itself in so many categories of life that makes where you and I live in the 21st century a wonderful place to be I, I thank God for, for, for Bill Gates and the, and the internet I thank God for a Kobe Bryant and others in terms of the gift of being able to entertain us because it's better than war. Internet allows us to build our knowledge base uh, exponentially. Kobe Bryant and others uh, have allowed us to engage in extracurriculum activity without going in, going out and killing each other. See, now, sports has been has been tamed way down from the gladiator games of, of hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So I'm not going to tell people to just kind of live in a dark cave. But I will say what you are saying, which really should be the tandem in the which believers should be operating and that is we should be in the world but we should act as if we are not of this world and headed somewhere else and always looking for an opportunity to speak redemptively into people's lives and if we did not pray for Kobe if he was you know you were a fan of his then this goes to show how shallow we are we can go a whole lifetime with uh, enjoying a brother rushing home from church breaking off fellowship with people at, at church and Get home to watch the playoffs and and watch the the championship and and watch our icon and and not even pray for him. We are making a clear statement by that act, and I'm sure you will affirm this that um, that we're not really prepared to answer God when He says to us, Jesse, did you blow the trumpet? Did you warn my people from me? Did you let them know that eternity was in front of them and that they are in danger of my wrath, as He told Ezekiel and as He told John? And as he tells all of his prophet, preacher, teachers to warn the people uh, to flee from the wrath to come. See, I, I still have to work that through in my life to make sure that I adjust my values, uh, Kelvin, so that I am not slipping into the mere consumer uh, uh, trap because that consumer trap will shut my mouth. It'll keep me from speaking up for Christ. Well, you know, Pastor Jeff, it's funny because, you know, we have a ministry out in East Palo Alto, and Facebook was giving money away. Right. And, you know, and and we didn't get none, but I told the other pastors, 
I'm still going to do what I do. Right. When I see him, I'm still going to talk to him about Jesus Christ. Right. You can. You, you don't have to give me no money, but guess what? That's not. And if you give me some money, I'm still going to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ and the pardon of your sins? That's right. And we, we, and see, we get so, can, so caught up with if you give me something or you do something for me, then I'm not going to be who I am. Right. But guess what? Right. If you're a false witness, of who God has called you to be. Your light should always shine no matter what. That's exactly right. Brother, that's exactly right. Listen, man, bless you. Keep doing what you're doing, boy, and I'll pray for you as you pray for me. Let me go to line number um, four now and talk with Kiana in San Leandro. Kiana, are you there? Hi, Pastor Jesse. How are you? Hi, I am fine. Good. What's your observation about our topic tonight? Um... I am the same age as Kobe. He's like one month older than me. And I remember when he got drafted at 17. I remember when he, you know, went with singer Brandy to the prom. And as a teenager, I was like, oh, that's cool. That's nice. But when I heard what happened to him yesterday, my first question was, did he die in Christ? Right. Did he know Christ? Right. He had all his worldly fame and wealth. And did you know Christ? Because without that, if you don't have that, nothing that you do in this life, it don't matter. Because you are going to be eternally separated from Christ. Really true. Really, really true. And um, my my engineer, I'm sorry, go ahead on. Kiana? Yep. Uh, Is there anything else you wanted to say? Um... It's just that, you know, you don't know how many, you don't know how long you have on this earth. Um, God, his, 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 his reign, like it falls on the just and the unjust. Yep. Some people going to have wealth and riches. Some people aren't. Some people are going to know him and some aren't, some are not. And I think people um, are so caught up with, Achieving worldly fame and wealth—that they, they don't—they think everything is in their own strength, and they don't think they need God. They don't think they need Jesus. They don't even think He exists because everything that they have and all their abilities and all their gifts are in their own strength. Yep. So God gives you those gifts to be a light to others, to draw him to Him. Well said, sister. Well said. Thank you for that call. It's so true. Um, it's so true. And and what uh, what a loss as Kobe's was to us on the alarming factor, as I said in my opening monologue, is that he was young and that he was wealthy because you see every day hundreds of thousands of people die. Old folks die. Slow deaths in hospitals, convalescent homes, all that kind of stuff. And, and wealthy and rich people do, too. We know that. But see, when you have one of these kind of universal, uh, well-known, abrupt uh, departures from this life, it is given to us by God to have this conversation. 
God does not mean for his people not to have this conversation when such a universal uh, reaping of the harvest of a soul takes place under the conditions that it did. He does not mean for you and I to get on the air and merely talk about Kobe Bryant's accolades, what he did, how he won so many championships and became so many MVPs and defensive players of the year. God does not mean for a Christian with a biblical worldview whose heart beats with the reality of salvation and damnation to have a conversation around wishing we could have what Kobe had. What he definitely wants you and I to do is to ponder the path of our ways, to apply our hearts to wisdom, to number our days and ask the question. And here's the question again before I go to one more phone call before the break. If you were Kobe Bryant, if Kobe Bryant was you, or if your life was such that you had the wealth and resources and 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 uh, material blessings and prominence and, and, and position and platform publicly that that Kobe had, what would your life look like? What would it be visibly, vocationally, and actively if you had hundreds of millions of dollars? What would be a fundamental expectation of the Lord Jesus Christ on your part, or to any church member for that matter, if you had the kind of resources that was given to Kobe? Would your life look like his? And I would dare to say no. I mean, our first caller, Craig, said no. I would be doing this, that, and the other thing. I'm not so sure, child of God. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that if $100 million was plopped into my lap, I've, I've thought about it many, many times, what I would do if I had this, that, or the other thing. But I have come to understand that it does not require that I have that much to do what with what I would assume or say or purpose to do if I had it when I could do the same thing with this much. See, does it follow that if I don't do what I said I would do, if I had that much with this much, when I could do what I said I would do, if I had that with this, does it follow that I would change my priorities? Does it follow that I would change the pattern of my life? Does it follow that I would be much more vividly and obviously and effectually given to the cause of Christ if I had $100 million as opposed to having $100,000? Does it follow? It does not follow. If I am not that way now, it does not follow that I would be that way then, quite frankly. I'm going to, let me see here. I'm going to take a break and then I'll come back. So Jermaine, you hold on. Sean, you hold on. And Nelson, you hold on. And we've got one line open on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back.